Hey there, this is D. Yvonne Vivers, your host for Birth Moms Real Talk, a podcast where you will hear the journeys of birth mothers who have placed children in adoption and also have some emotional and tough conversations, or you may say hot topics about adoption. Listen in. Good afternoon. My name is D. Yvonne Rivers. I'm your host for Birth Moms Real Talk. We come to you with a birth mom's journey as well as a hot topic. And I'm so happy to have as my guest today, Vicki. Welcome, Vicki. Thank you, D. Yvonne. Good, good. You can call me Yvonne. The Yvonne. D is sort of a, the, uh, another story about a, my first name that I don't like. So I use D, Yvonne. <laughs> you know, there's stories in everything. We talk, we're going to hear talk about birth mom story, but there's stories behind everything completely. So we're so happy to have you today. We want you to talk about your journey. Just as you know, birth mom's real talk really came about me being a birth mom. 48 years. Sometimes I don't feel like I'm even that old, but 48-year-old son. And we talk real talk. That's why Birth Moms Real Talk. So I'm so happy. I want you to feel free of saying what you choose to share. It's completely up to you. But I always like to go back to, I call it the beginning of the journey. So if you would, tell me a little bit about the beginning of your journey as a birth mom. So I got pregnant at 20. Mm-hmm. I had recently just moved out of my parents' house in a, I was absolutely acting out and wanted to just leave and go somewhere else. And so I was living with some friends and my life was a little, I don't know what to call it, but I was partying a lot and drinking a lot and, mm-hmm. and maybe not doing such safe practices for a few years there. And what was causing all of that? Rebellion. <laughs> Against what? Against what? Well, my, my best friend from high school came out as gay and my dad Mm. wouldn't let him come stay at our house Mm. because he was gay and I just couldn't stand that. So I moved out of my parents' house and moved in with three gay guys Okay, just to, and so, and then, you know, from there on, that was the first time I'd lived outside my parents' house and I just started making some bad choices. Okay. (laughs) Okay. You know, the first thing that comes to mind, so were you, tell me if I'm wrong, if I'm going that way, were you leaning that way yourself to being gay? No. No, I wasn't. Okay. Just had a lot of, just, I had a lot of high school friends that ended up coming out right around that same time. And it was a really sensitive topic at 20 years old. You know, Mm -hmm. you're young, you're very passionate about, Mm -hmm. about your friends and the topics and the, you know, what's happening in the world at that time. Right. Right. So you moved out and moved in with three gay guys. So (laughs) did your dad hit the roof then or what? (laughs) He did. He did, which is exactly what I think I was trying to do. Okay. 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 So you got your point across? I did. Okay. And the result of that was? Well, I just started, like I said, making some kind of bad choices, partying a lot, drinking a lot. Met a guy who bonded over Prince. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Was it the purple? What is it? It's a Prince. Okay. Purple. Yeah. Yeah. He had had gone to the concert a couple days before and I got to see Prince in concert. And so... We, he was wearing a concert t-shirt and we met at a bar just kind of talking and he had some bootleg, bootleg, bootleg okay. uh, recordings of Prince and okay. shared them with me. And <laughs> so we can blame this, all this journey on the Prince, right? Yep. yep. <laughs> His Prince's that. fault. It's your birth mom. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah okay. So we met and 
you know, we got along really well and, and we ended up having sex and I ended up getting pregnant at 20 years old. And from there, you know, adoption became an option. I, my, so my son's birth father is half black, half white. Okay. And so for me, racism and adoption are really, really, really intertwined um, because I'm a white, I'm a white girl, but my family completely disowned me. My, my, my dad's family completely disowned me for being impregnated by a black man. Okay. And this was what Um, year? Remind me back what year this was. This had to have, this was 93. Okay. So how was, what was your family's position about race prior to all of this? I had nothing. I had no ideas. Like I, I didn't think I was so naive, right? Like Mm -hmm. in high school, my best friends were, you know, we lived in a really small town. There wasn't a lot of diversity. My best friend was like the only black kid in school. Mm -hmm. And I remember fighting with his dad and saying, racism isn't a thing, right? Like the KKK isn't a thing anymore. And he was like, Oh, Vicky, (laughs) you know, and where were you living? (laughs) Upper Michigan. Okay. Canada. Okay. 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 So for me, you know, the first thing that happened is, you know, my grandparents would call and if I'd answer the phone, they'd hang up. They Mm. wanted me taken out of the will. They wanted me to just disowned me completely. So, so were you still in the home and they were basically shunning you? Yeah. So I moved, I was with my, I was with the three gay guys that I was living with. Mm -hmm. And then I ended up moving home when I got pregnant and my mom was supportive, but my, my dad and his family weren't supportive. My dad didn't shun me, but it was, you know, we were better now, but back then he would say, you know, you're not allowed, I'm not going to allow a black child ever in my family or in my house. So separate aside from being pregnant, and being because you were age of 20 and not married to the father. So it wasn't more of the you're pregnant. It was more you've been and and the, and the baby is by a black man. Yes. OK. Yeah. OK. 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 At least for my dad's side of the family, mm-hmm. my dad's side of the family, that was the number one issue for them. Mm-hmm. So how did you speak up for that? Or I mean. What, what was your response to all of this hanging up the phone and disowning and not no one who's black can come in the house or what, what that was? Lots of crying, I guess. I mean, I, I don't think I was strong enough and had a voice loud enough yet mm-hmm. to really say much. What I did is I, I ran away. So my, okay. I was living in DC at the time with my parents. And then I moved to the Chicagoland area with my grandma just to get away from everybody's. Was this before you had, had gave birth or after? While I was, no, while, so I moved across country okay. and drove across country and I was about six months pregnant. <laughs> that one must've been an adventure by yourself or what? You had to tell me this story. Yeah. So I was, it was 12 hours. And at the time I was working at a Walmart and I moved my job from Walmart in Actually, I think it was Waldorf, Maryland is where I had my job at the Walmart. And then I moved it to here near Chicago in the Gurney, Illinois area and moved in with my grandma. And at the time, I didn't know what I wanted to do, if I wanted to parent or if I wanted to place. Okay. In a lot of ways, I didn't think adoption was an option because mm-hmm. of the way my family was reacting to mm-hmm. this part black child. I felt mm-hmm. like I felt like there wouldn't be any place in the world for him. You know what I mean? Like I I felt like 
you know, it seemed like the white people weren't going to accept him and the black people weren't going to accept him. And then I end up like with this child and I didn't want to push him, place him for adoption in a family that didn't love him. And, and so I really struggled. So was, was that part of your, on your mind when you were seeing this half black guy, this biracial guy, well, let's just call him biracial. Yeah. You mean when I first started dating him? Uh-huh. No, I didn't. I didn't know my family was, I just didn't know race. Like I said, I was so naive. I thought, I thought racism didn't exist. Like wow. I was that naive and that sheltered of a child. Wow. And I just, I, and to me, skin color meant, you know, skin color wasn't anything that I, you know, cared about as that way. So I couldn't imagine anybody else thinking mm. somebody's bad just because of the color. Right. Of their skin. Right. Cause that was, that was your perspective and you felt as if everyone else was in the same boat with you. Yeah. Okay. Now what about the dad, the birth dad? Was he with you or what was the scenario after you got pregnant? Did you let him know? Yeah, I let him know. I figured it out about three months, just under three months. All of a sudden I was, and at the time I was, like I said, I was working for a Walmart and I was setting up new stores. And when you set up a new store, you end up like kind of partying with people and drinking afterwards. And I was 20, but I had a fake ID and I was at a bar and I realized I hadn't had my period in a few months. And then all of a sudden I went, wow. And then I took, you know, the three or four customary pregnancy tests to, to verify. <laughs> so let's try it one more time. Let's try it yeah, one more time. Okay. Right. One out of three, you know, two out of five. Right. Yeah. Okay. Right. So I took customary multiple tests. <laughs> okay. But positive. And by then the birth father and I, like he was a nice guy, right? Like he okay. was, like I said, we enjoyed music together. We had a nice time. He was older than me. He was 25. He lived in the his parents' backyard in a van. And he was just kind of a, he was just this hippie. Okay. Like, didn't really have any responsibilities. Just okay. kind of living life. Okay. Got stoned a lot. You know, just. So you really, did you really see a future with him even when you first started seeing him? I didn't know. Okay. I didn't. Okay. I didn't okay. see a future with him. He j- we just okay. were really different people. Okay. So I, you know, by the time I found out I was pregnant, we weren't even together. Like we were just, it was kind of a casual thing. It mm-hmm. wasn't super mm-hmm. serious or anything. Mm-hmm. And so I found out and I called him and I said, I need to come tell you something. I drove to his house and I said, we're pregnant. And we are pregnant. I, I like that. We are pregnant. Yeah. yeah. And he was all for parenting. And for the first few months I was too, I thought, oh, we can, we can make this work. I mean, not together as in a couple, because we'd already decided that wasn't what we wanted to do, but as co-parents, like we could at 20, I'm like, oh yeah, we can co-parent. That'll be easy. You know? (laughs) Right, 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 right. And then pretty quickly he just disappeared. You know, he just kept doctor's appointments. He wouldn't show up. You know, he did go with me to tell my parents, my parents were, my, my dad was civil until after he left. I was going to say, they let him in the house? They did. <laughs> I remember what you said. They let him in the house? They did let him in the house. Okay. And then, and, but at this time, remember, I still didn't know. When we told my parents, I still didn't know that my dad was. Ah, uh, okay. Okay. Like, I didn't know. It okay. wasn't something we ever talked about. It wasn't okay. something that I thought was true. So, yeah. So for me, you know, there's a lot of innocence that's lost when you mm-hmm. get pregnant. Mm-hmm. And you replace a child for adoption. You know, you were, you were, I was a kid before, and then I became an adult because I, I, I went through pregnancy and placing and. Mm-hmm. You became a mother. You became a became, mother, yeah. which is a whole new different thing too. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so you're just, mm -hmm. you're, you, you lose kind of the innocence of your life. And then I also lost at the same time, you know, friends and family and the belief of this world where mm -hmm. everybody is equal, you know, mm -hmm. and I lost all of that all at the same time. Mm -hmm. So a lot of, you know, we talk about in the adoption um, community, disenfranchised grief, which is yeah. the grief of losing our child, where most others don't really look at it as grief, you know, mm -hmm. but it is. That's it exactly is. what it is. And it's Absolutely. other types of grief, as you just mentioned, the loss of the ideal world that you yeah. had in mind. You yeah. were, I don't say clueless, but you didn't know, you expected, and it suddenly it's blowing up before your face. Really? Others don't like each other because of their skin. Yeah. I can just imagine that's what you were saying. Yeah. I was, I was shocked and I was confused and I was trying to deal with being pregnant, but I was also dealing with all these other emotions at the same time that mm -hmm. I just couldn't kind of like, all of it was just overwhelming. All right. So, so what happened in this meeting when the dad came to the house and obviously they could see who he was? Yes. And so <laughs> they did. <laughs> Yeah. And so, like I said, my parents were on their best behavior while he was there, you know, and again, my mom never had an issue with race, but, you know, my dad was talking and we said, you know, at this time we were like, oh, we're going to parent, you know, we're not going to be together, but we're going to co-parent. We're both going to be responsible for this child. And my parents just kind of listened and we had like mm -hmm. a little pic, not, not a picnic, but like a little lunch out on the deck and, you know, and had this whole conversation. And then, and then is when everything hit the fan after that, you know, mm -hmm. then is my dad screaming about a biracial child. And so after, after the dad had left, is that's when he yeah. first turned to you? What was the first thing you said? Oh, I don't remember. It was so I mean, 27 years ago. Okay. So but I just in a gist of, he definitely didn't yeah, I mean, Just, just I, the first thing they said, I think was that you're, you're giving this child up for adoption. I think that the was the first thing. thing. Yeah. So there's no questions. Yeah, there was no questions in my in my family's mind. Adoption was the only option at that point. And you, how many months um, long then? Pardon? How many months long were you then? Four, four and a half. Okay, okay. So is that what I you did... immediately started to do to look at adoption plans? No, I fought against that. I was going to mm. parent. A hundred percent, I was going to parent. And Darren and I were going to, you know, like, again, I said, he was a nice guy, right? Like he was, he was a good guy. He just didn't have any, he just really didn't have any drive in his life. He was just still young and, and he just, just didn't have any drive. He didn't have a job, didn't have a car. You know what I mean? Like okay. I paid for everything, you know, those types okay. of things. And he just okay. kind of didn't have any drive. And so, but we were going to make it work, right? Like we were going to co-parent, we were going to be fine. And I fought against that for a long time. So when you say you fought against it, were you making plans yourself to just continue to parent with Darren? Yeah, I was looking for a place to live. Okay. I was, I bought, I got right around the exact same time. And this is so funny, but I got a credit card for the first time. Okay. Right as I was like within the week of, of telling my family I was pregnant, I got a credit card and I went out and I bought a stuffed monkey <laughs> and a stroller. Okay. I needed those two things for the baby, right? Okay. And I had those in my bedroom at my parents' house. And then while I was looking for a place to live, 
And then like 10 years later, I was still paying off that stroller. <laughs> Charge forever. <laughs> yep. Last forever. Most expensive <laughs> stroller in the world. Um, <laughs> so, so while still in the house and you were making plans to parent, well, when did you share that with your dad that you are going to parent and adoption is not on the table? You know, through screaming matches, through mm. just yelling, and 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 he didn't kick me out. He didn't kick me out because I didn't have a black child yet. You know what I mean? Like I was, it was fine. I didn't have a biracial baby, but when I had the baby, I wasn't going to be allowed to live there anymore. I was had, that actually said? To. Was that actually said? Yeah, he actually said there will be no. I will never have a black child live in this house. Okay. Okay. So. So like I said, so then I started and then I, I think I moved in with a friend of mine for the last couple, just it got really difficult to live at home. And so I lived mm-hmm. in, I moved in with a friend, family friend just for a little while. And then I ended up moving to the Chicagoland area just because I needed to get, everybody knew what I needed to do. Like Darren's family, you know, they kept saying, oh, he'll come around. He'll be a good father someday. Don't worry. You know, and I would go to them and I would, because I liked his parents and I would talk mm-hmm. to them and I would mm-hmm. say, you know. He's not showing up to doctor's appointments. He's not helping out. He's not, he's not doing the things that are going to show that he's going to parent with me. And they would just keep saying, oh, don't worry about it. He'll come around. And then my parents are like, you have to place. And my friends were all like, oh, just live with us and parent. You know what I mean? And I'm like, well, that's not a long-term plan to live Mm -hmm. with people and parent, you know? So I ended up, like I said, just getting in the car, driving 12 hours, going to live with my grandma while I just tried to get away from it all and tried to figure mm-hmm. it out. So that is that where you gave birth when you were living with your grandmother? Yep. So I gave birth when I was living with my grandma. She, I started looking into adoption when I got, he, when I got here because I still live in the Chicagoland area. Okay. I started looking into adoption when I got here because I had definitely given up on Darren being part of the child's life. Mm-hmm. And I really, really wanted a two-parent home. You know, I had my, my dad is my stepdad who adopted me and I grew up with a, you know, with one parent home. And when I was younger. Okay. So adoption had been experienced in the family. Yeah. So I was adopted by my dad and then my mom is a birth mom. Wow. For me. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. I don't know what a previous episode, I think it's Kitty, the family occurrence. And I've seen this is that birth mothers or adoption has, I don't say runs through the family, but it's not foreign Yeah, adoption itself. And that's interesting that you say that, that your birth mother, your mom was a birth mother. At what time did you realize that or were you told? Oh, I was told when I was like about 13 years old, my aunt was mad at my mom and used it like in a, in a, retaliatory way. Like, mm-hmm. well, your mom got pregnant and had a kid at 16, wow. you know, like, like me. Whoa. And I remember being so angry at my mom for not telling me. Did you go to her and ask your mom why she didn't? I did. I did. I was so mad. And I, I, cause I always wanted to know, like I said, I had a broken, not a broken home, but a, I didn't have a father for a long time. And mm-hmm. when he was in the picture, he was violent. And so I always wanted an older brother to protect me. Right. Mm-hmm. So I was really mad at my mom and she just said, you know, she just said what she said, which is I did the best I could do, you know, and, but being 13 year old full of angst, that wasn't good enough. Right. Like right now right. I look back on that with, with a lot of grace and a lot of, yeah, 
kindness to my mom. But of course, at 13, I was just mad and angry. Right, right. Now, so following up with your mom, did she ever search or find your, was it an older brother of yours? Yeah, yeah. No, we're back. We're in reunion. Oh, okay. Yeah. We're okay. absolutely, we're absolutely in reunion. Yep. Okay. Okay. Good, good, good. So moving forward, when you're in your, with your grandmother, when you gave birth, what was that scenario? Tell me about that. So by then I'd picked out a family. I went into labor early. The adoptive mom was in the room with me while I gave birth. And originally my mom wasn't even going to fly out, but my mom did fly out for okay after the birth, which, you know, now I really appreciate because I realized how emotional that was for her being a birth mom herself and, right. and the emotions of placing a child and knowing that, you know, her and my dad were almost divorced because of everything else. And just this, it was a really hard time in her life too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she flew out to be there for me after the birth. And because I left the hospital without a baby, right? Like mm-hmm. my, I went straight, I placed my son with his family, you know, straight from the hospital. There was no foster mm-hmm. care in between or anything like that. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's not going to be a hard topic today, but but that's that's a real deep topic that's part of the roller coaster when you leave the hospital. Because no matter what kind of plan you made, whether you picked a family or whatever the scenario, you leave with empty arms. I know. And I say that empty arms because you came there with your child in you, inside you. And the typical of having birth is, you know, the happy, you know, leaving the hospital with yeah. your child in your arms. And that doesn't happen. Yeah, absolutely. It was, yeah. I don't know anything else in my life that's been so heartbreaking. And so hard. It's hard. I, I'm not, this is real talk. This is birth mom's real talk. You can't, you know, it's hard, y'all. It is. It is. <laughs> it's I just mean, hard. Remember. Call it for what it is. Call it for yeah. what it is. It's hard. I remember. It's just, I mean, being a literally a blob on the floor, just crying and crying. Like you can't even get up from the grief, you know, mm-hmm. like you're really, mm-hmm. the grief is so overwhelming that you're just, that's all it is, is your whole life is just grief for mm-hmm. however long mm-hmm. that takes to get to the other side of it. And, and thank you for being candid enough to share and, and to say that, that, that you, the grief is so deep that you end up being a blog of not being able to do anything. It cripples you. It paralyzes you. It's like if you can sit up fine. If you can't, it's you, you in the floor. It's <laughs> that's the reality. So if anyone's yeah. listening who've never heard that, listen up. It's true. Yeah, absolutely. it's true. It's true. Yeah, you don't have the energy to even stand. You just right. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So after you left the hospital, what was your life like? Were you still working yourself or? Oh, so I couldn't go back to work. My doctor wouldn't let me right away because mm-hmm. I'd still given birth. Right. So mm-hmm. I still needed to recuperate. And so I, mm-hmm. you know, the six weeks postpartum isn't just to bond. It's for your body to, you know, to heal. <laughs> right. Yeah. Let's not forget. You just had a baby. So that was some right. major things going on in your body. Yeah. Major yeah. things. So major things. I started volunteering at the organization that I had placed through. So I did a private adoption Mm -hmm. with a organization that would be considered, it wasn't an agency. It was a, it was, sorry, I can't think of the word, but it wasn't an agency. So it wasn't like an agency through the state. It was just some, these women who knew that private adoption 
with normally didn't have services for the expectant moms or the birth parents. And so they, they provided services to private adoption so that the expectant mom and the, and then the birth mom would have services before Mm -hmm. and after. And so I started working in their office, just helping out because I needed something to do, right? Like I can't just sit at home as a blob and Mm. do nothing because I needed something to try to keep me busy and try to keep my mind off of it. Um, Were you around birth moms about to give birth or young babies? And I was going to ask you, how did that affect you? Okay. No, no. I was just helping out like in the office, like mailing things for them and stuff like that. Okay. And then pretty quickly I saw my son's parents' address because I was working in the office that they had placed. And, and, and at the time we called it open adoption because we'd met. Okay. Okay. But it was really going to be semi-open. It was letters and pictures. I was going to move back to DC. You know, they were going to stay in the Chicagoland area and then we would exchange letters and pictures. And pretty quickly, I just, as I was going through things, I found their address. And of course it got like embedded in my brain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Some things like you never forget. Brain. And you just like, right. got it. It's locked in, locked in. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And so then I went to my son's parents and said, I'm sorry, but I know your address. And at the time you feel like a criminal, right? Like, <laughs> like you're not supposed to have that information. <laughs> like you got to sneak behind bushes or whatever. It, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Right. And so, and their answer was, oh yeah, we knew you'd find it. We, you know, we knew you were working at the agency. We knew you'd find it. Okay. Okay. And then we didn't start having visits again until, we didn't start having visits until he was probably about two years old. So before that was just kind of pictures and letters and I would see them at events. Cause like we were doing fundraising events and things like that. And so I'd see the parents at events, but not really Kevin. And then usually that's my son's name, by the way, is Kevin. Okay. Sorry. Well, let me ask you, the adopted parents, are they black, white, biracial? They're white. Okay. They're white. I ended up just backing into a good adoption for my son. Like, I didn't know the questions to be asking. Like, I should have asked, you know, is there diversity in their neighborhood? Is Do they have any black friends and, and family members? And, you know, I should have been doing a whole bunch of things to make sure that the transracial adoption would be healthy for my child. But again, I was 20 and I didn't even mm-hmm. think racism existed. So I just. Right. I you you had just come to the first hurdle of racism. Really? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, you know, they, I ended up, they ended up being in a really, really racially diverse neighborhood in this area. Okay. Um, and, you know, ended up being great parents, even if they, they didn't like try to like search out his his roots or anything like that, but they did do a really good job of trying to keep a lot of people in their lives that he could, he could look up to and see himself in. You okay. know what I mean? So were you on regular visitations with him? Well, how did that, cause how, how old is Kevin now? 27. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. So in the beginning we would meet out at um, restaurants and stuff like that, because it was just kind of scary for the family to have just the birth mom kind of show up. And then when Kevin was about five, probably his mom was like, this is ridiculous. I'm not going to drag two kids around because she had an older son too. I'm not going to keep dragging two kids around and meeting out at places. Just come to our house. And since he's been five, we've always visited. I mean, we go out to dinner too, but we, okay. you know, I know their address. They know my address. We go to each other's houses, you know. Okay. So how has it been? So at what point in time did Kevin know that you were his birth mom? 
he's always known. Okay. I mean, one of the first things he called me was his adoptive mom. And then his mom's like, no, honey, I'm your adoptive mom. She's your birth mom. <laughs> and he's probably looking, I got two moms. Which one are you? Yep. Okay. <laughs> yep. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So they always, always told him. An interesting tidbit is that my son's mom, so my son's adoptive mom is also a birth mom. So she had children. Wow. You know, these yeah. birth, I tell you, we're everywhere. I know, <laughs> How can everywhere. I say we're everywhere? We so now see that's the interesting story. So she's a birth mom and adoptive mom. Yeah. So she had a child at 21, like I did. Our stories were real similar. Mm-hmm. And she had a child at 21 and placed him and then had secondary infertility and couldn't have kids anymore when she went mm-hmm. to go have kids with her husband. Wow. So do you feel like she understands more or than others? Possibly because she is a birth mom. I do. Okay. When people ask me how I have such a great relationship, I almost feel guilty saying, well, she's a birth mom. You know, uh, like, yeah, she understands yeah. the, the yeah. heartache of it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So tell me about the relationship that you and Kevin have now. So he is a young 27, but he did just graduate college with, I think, three bachelor degrees. Wow. Why'd you say young 27? See, there's hidden, something hidden in that word. There is. There is. He's just, he's he's not working yet. He, yeah, just, he's just not really out. He's just not out on his own yet. He's just really still a kid living at home. Okay. And I know 27 isn't too old. Lots of kids stay home till 27 or 30 or 35. (laughs) Not in my neighborhood. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> not in my neighborhood at 27. Oh, wow. You know, let me not go back that far, but at 27. Wow. Oh, I was, but I, I'm, I'm like one of those different people. I just call myself different. <laughs> so, so being Kevin being a young 27, how does that relate to the relationship that you two have? We have a pretty good relationship. I mean, he goes on vacation with my husband and I, who's not okay. the birth father once a year. We are, my husband and I are pretty geeky. We're pretty big nerds. Okay. And my son's a pretty big nerd. So we go to this gaming convention once a year. He comes with us and we spend the whole weekend like really getting to know each other and talking and and, and really bonding. Okay. Um, okay. And so, you know, and I, I just saw him last weekend when I went to his house to pick up some Halloween decorations. So we wow. have, we're in each other's lives. Okay. Okay. Did you have other children? I didn't ask that. I, I couldn't. So I also mm. suffered secondary infertility and couldn't mm. have other kids. Fine. We find that. I've seen yeah. a lot of that. I've seen a yeah. lot of that. Yeah. 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 Okay. And I just couldn't adopt. I, I considered adoption, but mm. I'm a birth mom. Right. So like in my mind and in my soul, I've been working, you know, so I, I work with birth moms. I run retreats. I, have never been outside of the birth mom community since I've placed for 27 years. And that's just my identity. And I couldn't, I couldn't be an adoptive mom for some reason. Saying that you couldn't, meaning you felt like it wasn't right or what? I or right like, for you. Definitely not right for yeah, you. Definitely not right for me. And this is going to sound, I don't want this to be any adoptive parents that are listening. I don't want to offend anybody, but right. I feel like even if it's, the birth mom's choice, which it always, you know, sometimes isn't a mm-hmm. choice that's, you know, sometimes they're being coerced, but even mm-hmm. if it is the birth mom's choice to place, mm-hmm. I feel like the adoptive family, like I, I don't want to be that pain for that mom, right? Like I don't want to be the pain 
of, of, of parenting somebody else's child and taking them into my home because I know the pain that the birth mom goes through because I lived it. Mm-hmm. And I just don't want to be the source of somebody else's pain, even though I know that's not really fair. And right. That's not I, hear true, you. I hear you. But it's still it's still something in the back of me. OK. And, and it's different. It's different for everyone. And I understand what you mean. I have to go back always and saying why I'm doing this. This is not just for people to hear me talk or bring on guests or whatever. It is for to have a platform for birth moms and people to listen in. I like to say to listen in on this conversation and learn and heal and empower. Because when you don't know, (laughs) you don't know. And I want a lot of people to be able to say, I didn't know that. Yeah. You know, I, I did the, uh, I, I'm doing Facebook lives and I've heard a guest said that they had gotten response for people once their episode had last. Well, I didn't know the pain. If you don't know, you don't know. There's right. nothing wrong, you know, not, not condemning you because you don't, but up to understanding that, understanding that. Yeah. So what would you say would have been the, um, your healing point? Because, as you say, you work with birth moms, you work, you run virtual retreats with birth moms. So what's been some healing points or places you've seen women sort of gain their empowerment and stands to really walk through this journey, this roller coaster journey? I think, you know, we've just started doing virtual retreats because of COVID. Before that, mm-hmm. we've always done in-person retreats and I've been running them for, I've been part of them for about 15 years and Mm -hmm. I've been running them for about 10. Mm -hmm. And I have to say that's been one of the most healing things ever because I mean, I know hundreds of birth moms and hundreds of birth moms and I've heard all their stories and I take all those stories and it makes me like you just feel that there has to be a place for these women to, to heal, to be heard, to be able to say the things that they can't say anywhere else. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like as a birth mom, you can go in and you can tell your story, but only people that completely understand is another birth mom, right? You don't mm-hmm. have to explain, like, I don't have to explain to you that why I placed my son, right? right. Because I wanted a two-parent home or because whatever, but all those reasons are our own reasons. But mm-hmm. what it really comes down to is love yes. and trying to make the best decision at a time in your life that was the most difficult. Mm-hmm. And so- I want to give those spaces to women so that they can also heal and, and I heal with them at the same time. Absolutely. It, it, cause it's a joint effort. I, I really like to say it's healing in the room, whatever room that you're in. And just yeah. as you mentioned for his birth moms coming together and understanding each other. And they're also, I say a lot of birth moms who isolate themselves because of feeling they don't have anyone to talk to and, it's revelation when I see a birth mom around another birth mom for the first time. It's like, wow. It's no, yeah. it's, you see the big eyes. It's like, really? There's other people out here like me? <laughs> well, and, and imagine, and I always think it's amazing when a birth mom hears another birth mom telling their story for the first time uh-huh. because they haven't told, like, so let's say they're 25 years old and they've mm-hmm. never told their story to a big group of people. And then mm-hmm. people are just randomly talking about it. Like it's no big deal. Right. Mm-hmm. And they're just like, 
deer in the headlights. Like, oh my God, people just talk about this? <laughs> yes, we have ripped the secrecy off. We have yep. come behind the cloth, come behind the cape with that. Yes, and absolutely. and and that's when it helps. And, and not, not everyone wants to do that. I understand that. So, and, and it's a tough thing really to share publicly and, and, and say that this, this is who I am, no matter who was listening and so forth. And it's a journey and a big step that for people. And I have to tell you, I've had some people contact me and said that they want to be on the podcast, but just before I can't do it. I can't do it because they weren't ready. And I said, it's fine if you're not ready. It's fine. Yeah. When, when or if, when or if. Yeah, that's it. It's at your own pace. So as we say, part of the, the format of this podcast is to hear the journey. So we've heard your, Vicky's journey through many different things, but a topic. So what's your topic today, Vicky? Transracial adoption. Why did I not know that? I know. I know. <laughs> After all of what we have talked about, why did I not know that? Why is that important to you? And what do we need to say about that? Oh, it's a complex topic. And I don't know if I'm a person that can speak well on it, being white myself. But the, the topic is always brought up with, you know, is a child best served by being in a white family, a black child or a biracial child being mm-hmm. in a white family in a white community? What sort mirrors do they need to feel comfortable within their own skin? And I don't know all the answers to that. I just there's a lots of questions. And I feel like, again, you don't know what you don't know, right? Mm -hmm. So when I was placing, I didn't know that I should be asking better questions. Mm -hmm. And I just happened to fall backwards into a good adoption. I was Mm -hmm. just lucky. But so many other people aren't. You know, you hear people who place their child in a transracial adoption and then the family's racist themselves or their Mm -hmm. family members are racist themselves and nobody accepts that child. And you know, I'm on a lot of Facebook groups of transracial adoption and, and, and listening to the adopted children saying that their parents never talked about race. They never talked about mm-hmm. skin color. They never let them ever, they didn't let them explore those topics. Oh, maybe feel comfortable saying, for them to explore those topics. Yeah. And they should be, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. they say, oh, skin color doesn't matter. And, you know, but then again, the child's living that life. Right? Yes. Yes. And so it's like, you know, I think that for me in transracial adoption, there has to be more education around the mm-hmm. adoptive parents mm-hmm. about what they need to do to make sure that their child is a whole person that's encompassing mm-hmm. all of themselves, right? And can feel that comfortable in that situation. And I, I take this stance, you know, you're white birth mom. I'm a woman of color birth mom, black. And I make this statement and I stand behind it for the number of years I've have had life that everyone's not racist, but race plays a factor in everything, everything. Mm-hmm. Because just because you may say, well, I'm not racist, but do you really, do you really acknowledge that race is a factor? As you mentioned for as in transracial, that if you're a white family taking in a, a black child or biracial child, or a black family t- taking in a white child or a biracial child, are you going to be able to allow them to know their heritage, yeah. their culture, and be able to balance that? And it's, I use this analogy, especially for girl adoptees. If you don't know how to do the hair, 
<laughs> if you either learn or get someone to teach you how to do the hair. And a big part of be it hair or expectations is that if you don't know, ask somebody. That is one of my favorite sayings because everyone doesn't know everything. So ask someone, but the main thing is for that child to feel comfortable in their own skin, color, whatever it is, whatever it is, you know, whether it's international adoptee, that they're away from their whole culture, a whole new continent, much less different race and so forth. So I go back to, and I don't mean to minimize this, it comes back to conversation and forget, take the secrecy off of it. Be straight with the kids to let them know for is this different culture. Because when they're coming up before they get verbal, when they're nonverbal, they don't see race. You're playing with kids or whatever. And only when society comes up and saying, well, they're on that side, this side, in between side or whatever. But it has to get that comfort level. And whether no matter what race you are. Yeah what race you are. So it comes back to two is being able to talk to your child, not only about race, but the whole adoption situation, because there are a lot of adoptees who, that's why I asked you, at what point did you know? Or yeah, what point did your mom tell you for is that she was a birth mom or whatever? This, this, this secrecy, when, when, when people keep things hidden, the premise, in my opinion, and as I say, this per- podcast comes from a very independent source. I'm not a psychologist, but I'm a 48-year birth peer, birth mom. So I'm coming from that perspective is the fact that when you got secrecy, if you don't talk about a thing, people are led to believe something's wrong with that because you don't talk about it. So when yeah. people don't talk about adoption, it's like, hush, that's shame. But it's not. It's just that the people are not able to and they need to get ready or be able to talk about it as best as they can. But shielding it and not talking about it is doing more detriment than than good, in my opinion. No, I agree with you 100 percent. I live a life where I am a birth mom and everybody knows it. Like my friends know, my coworkers know. I have made it my goal in life to never have shame over being a birth mom. Yeah. And the best way for me to do that is I talk about my son all the time. Like Mm -hmm. I, you know, I tell my coworker, I just started a new job like a year and a half ago. And Mm -hmm. within months, they all knew that I had a son, that I placed him, that I was going on vacation with him, or I was going to see, you know, I'm going to go see him on tomorrow on Mother's Day or whatever the thing is. Like, I've just always made it where everybody's just going to know. And if it's TMI, that's not my problem. (laughs) (laughs) I like that because really it is, it's not on you. It's on whether they receive it or not. And and I remember three years ago when I was in reunion, first saw my son after 45 years, that I sent a letter to my close friends and just saying that I'm in union with my birth son. It's okay to ask me about him. You know, it's not like you got to run away. I can't talk to her. Yes, you can. Yep. You know, so I give permission. Yes, you can talk to me about anything. It's okay. It's okay. I have a whole group of core of girlfriends and we go on this girls camping trip and everybody sits like most of them have children. Uh So they sit around talking about their kids and what their Uh kids are doing. And this group of friends of mine will always be like, well, Vicki, how's Kevin doing? Like, Uh like I'm part of the conversation Uh because I am a mom, even though I parent, Mm -hmm. but they respect that. And and I think a lot Mm -hmm. of that is because I've always just, you know, when they've talked about their kids, I've talked about my son Mm -hmm. because that's my connection to that. That's it. 
And the more we talk about our children as they're talking about theirs, they get to understand that because I'm like you, I don't wait. You know, if someone's talking about, well, my son just accepted this and whatever. Well, wait, let me tell you what my son did. You know, I feel like, you know, this is, this is funny, but it's not that we as birthmarks speaking for myself, when we're we're not seeing our child grow up and raising them, we're, we miss different points of their life when they're in grade school or whatever. And I tell this that shortly after I was in reunion with my son and, and he's like, say adult and on his business and he's just doing his own professional life. And he did a photo shoot and he sent me pictures from his photo shoot. And I said, this is just like your fifth grade pictures. I'm getting, <laughs> you know, so it's like, you know, you take, not that you take what you can, but it was just, that's how I saw it. That's yeah. how I saw it. So you have to see the situation and it's grief there. It's, it's hurt there because it's the love, the love doesn't dissipate because we placed. And, and I make this statement and I stand behind it. Just because a birth mom placed her child in adoption does not mean she didn't love her. Yeah, it really absolutely. means the opposite. She loved them to do yeah, that. Absolutely. That's it. This has been great. You twist and turns, Vicky. <laughs> twist and turns <laughs> with this. And I, I just revelation every different episode is different. Every different birth mom is different. But the listeners, you're getting that perspective from the inside. That's like I say, it's like you've got your ear to the, the glass window, the you know, glass door, and you're listening in on the conversations. And I know people who are not even in adoption or in just triad of listening. So continue to listen, continue to listen. Thank you so much, Vicki. I'm so happy to have you. And I'm sure our listeners are learning so, so much from you. Thanks again. All right, bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening into Birth Moms Real Talk, where birth mothers share their journeys and we have an open and honest conversation about adoption. If you would like to share your story or you have any comments, you can reach us at birthmomsrealtalk.com or email us at Yvonne at birthmomsrealtalk.com. If you like what you heard, we would appreciate your support on Patreon as a supporter. Find out more on our website. Tune in next time. See you then.